get into our conversation here on Folklorama. I'm not sure if you heard on the start this morning, but the Hungarian Pavilion was on, and they are beginning their week as part of week two of Folklorama with a bang. We did not know what to expect this year, and our night one last night, we blew it out of the water. We've never seen such a big crowd. Um, We've never sold so much food on the first night, so it was incredible. We're so appreciative of the support. Teresa Cotnereo is the Executive Director of Folklorama. She joins us on the phone now. Teresa, good morning. Good morning, Hal. How are you? Great. Well, you must love hearing stuff like that from the Hungarian Pavilion. Oh, absolutely. That, uh, you know, we, we had kind of predicted that, you know, Winnipeggers would be ready to take back the festival uh, full force, but I'm happy that uh, our predictions are coming true. So week two is underway. Tell me about week one. I, I understand you don't have solid attendance numbers yet, but we know it's a hit for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, for us, we, we're wrapping up one festival and launching another. So our main focus is, is supporting the Week 2 pavilions uh, before we actually really get down to the number crunching. Uh, but I can tell you that um, the venues were definitely uh, full and, um, you know, the feedback that we have from our pavilions has been similar to, um, you know, what Liz said uh, from the Hungarian Pavilion this morning. Um, you know, numbers have, have really been uh, you know, a lot higher than uh, people had perhaps anticipated, not knowing exactly what they were coming into. People, I think, really, you know, during the pandemic have missed. We're a festival town. We really, truly mm-hmm. are. And and Folklorama is one of the premier festivals, not just here in Winnipeg and Manitoba, but people from elsewhere come here. And I'm going to ask you about that in a bit. But obviously, they missed Folklorama. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, it, it's just fabric. It's just a part of the fabric of, of the city, you know, that you, you know what you're doing for the first two weeks of August every year. And um, whether you are someone who has participated in the pavilion or volunteered or, um, you know, whatnot, you all, everyone has a folklorama story or a folklorama connection. Uh, mm-hmm. So it really has been missed. What about people coming here specifically for Folklorama from elsewhere. I can't remember the exact organization or the award, but I know the bus tour industry at one point gave Folklorama, you know, top marks in all of North America. A lot of bus people, you know, Mm -hmm. toured here. Is that still happening or is it still too soon after the pandemic for that? Mm-hmm. Well, so the award you're, you're mentioning, and you've got a really good memory because that's a few years ago, um, but I believe it was the American Bus Association, actually, that said we were one of the top festivals. Um, and, you know, from the States, uh, we haven't had a lot of visitors just because there still are concerns with, um, you know, border control and, and the expectations and requirements uh, for crossing the border. Uh, so that uh, aspect hasn't been strong, but um, our local group tours and VIP tours have been um, outstanding. Um, so the you know we have a lot of people who come from um, out of the city, but we also have uh, individuals who book their own private events. Uh, you know, birthday parties, bachelorettes, employee appreciation. So uh, those have come back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. And I said the pandemic is when the pan. You know, now that the pandemic is over, it's obviously not over. Yeah. Um, it, 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 but the restrictions have, have lessened. And are are there still? Because going into this, you must have thought, boy, where where are people's minds at? Because the the restrictions aren't in place, but yet you have to wonder: are people ready to go into a pavilion? Crowds? 
mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You must have, in the back of your mind, thought, boy, this is going to be interesting to see exactly how this goes down. Well, I'm going to, I'm, you know, it probably wasn't the back of my mind. I'm going to say it was the forefront for a long time, yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for many, many months. And, um, you know, because obviously the lead up to today, you know, to the festival uh, really starts, you know, September, October of the previous year. So we've had a lot of discussions and have a really good relationship with public health, which um, has guided all of our, our choices as we've gone through things. And, um, you know, watching other events and how people were, were embracing um, getting back together we felt confident uh, that we were we were going to be successful and of course you know we we are encouraging people to do what makes them comfortable right if you feel comfortable still wearing a mask then please do so you know our pavilions even have them available so um, you know it, it really is that um, it's a matter of personal comfort and uh, it looks like people are, are comfortable and ready to be together yeah, it sure does seem that way. Um, volunteers, that's why uh, the Hungarian Pavilion was on, or one of the reasons the Hungarian Pavilion was on the start this morning. How mm-hmm. is, because uh, an event like Folklorama relies so heavily on volunteers. Like, for example, at the Hungarian Pavilion, all the food is made by volunteers. Did the various pavilions struggle? Have you struggled finding volunteers for Folklorama? Uh, there have been some challenges. I'm going to say that the public response itself has been overwhelming. Uh, so individuals who are not usually affiliated with a particular ethnocultural community or pavilion have uh, have offered, you know, to volunteer, which has been great. Um, you know, some of our pavilions weren't able to come back uh, this year just for that reason alone, uh, that they didn't feel that they had the volunteer commitment coming into it. Um, you know, and it's a long planning process, right? So when pavilions had to make their final decision whether they were going to participate or not, it was still early 2022, and, um, you know, people we're just getting used to the idea of, uh, you know, health restrictions dropping and everything else. So uh, there definitely have been challenges in some areas, but um, there have really been people pulling up their boots uh, in others. So it's all really worked out well. So enough with my questions now. People can go to folklorama.ca and find it all there, all the information, the locations for pavilions. Everything they need to know is at folklorama.ca. But can you tee up week two for us, tell people a bit about what's going on? Well, I can tell you that tonight and tomorrow night, uh, our 945 shows are only $1 admission fee, um, which is a great Manitoba uh, deal that was made possible by um, some funding through the Manitoba government. So uh, if you're looking to check out um, Pavilion and, and do it um, you know, on a strict budget tonight and tomorrow night, 945 shows are a great way to do that. Um, and again, you know, we have a full new set of Pavilions this week, so uh, 12 great places to check out um i often you know tend our previous to um you know working for folklorama i tended to visit some of the same ones and and had always wanted to visit others this is a great opportunity to visit ones that you may not necessarily have the chance to get to and Teresa, just judging by my social media feeds it's Mm -hmm. also a great these folklorama pavilions also a great place to meet a candidate for mayor and council (laughs) in the city of winnipeg 
good grief. If they don't come to your door knocking yeah. on your door, handing you a pamphlet, you're likely to run into one at Folklorama. Oh, well, and, and that being said, uh, Folklorama, um, you know, we we provide uh, tickets to our elected officials only. Uh, right. So those that are uh, <laughs> attending as candidates are attending on, on their own yes. accord. Uh, but but I do agree. I think I'd probably love to see more photos of, uh, of our volunteers. But um, <laughs> everyone everyone does have their role, um, you know, in making sure that uh, we are successful. And, and the last two years have been um, hard through the pandemic, and we were very fortunate to have the support of uh, our government uh, to get through it. So, um, but uh, but yeah, you're, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I agree that it's it's it's. Uh, let's make this week about uh, really celebrating <laughs> those volunteers. Nicely handled, Teresa. I, I, just an observation on my part. I think it's great <laughs> uh, that we've got lots of people running for mayor, and they're out there meeting people. I think it's fantastic. It just made me chuckle as I scroll uh, through my social media, and I go, "Oh boy, everybody's at Folklorama, especially uh, the ones looking for votes." Yeah. Teresa, yeah. thank yeah. you very yeah. much. I hope week two goes as well as week one. Thank you so much, Hal. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon. Teresa Cotroneo, the executive director of Folklorama. Again, you can find it all at folklorama.ca. Folklorama.ca. Week number two is underway. Light rail transit. Brian Mays, St. Mattel City Councilor, has us talking about this after he wrote an op-ed saying maybe we should look at putting an LRT line along St. Mary's Road. I do feel like if, if we're just going to be spend 20 years building a BRT network and the day after you finish you start converting it to LRT, then that doesn't seem like money well spent. So let's let's see if we've, if, if we've delayed too long. Uh, it might be time to say, look, we missed the boat on BRT, so let's let's cost out what it would take to do LRT. We'll get to some of your text messages and emails on this before we're done at noon. Let's bring in Gino DeStazio now, Urban Studies Professor at the University of Winnipeg. Gino, good morning. Good morning, Hal. Um, BRT, should it be in the past? Have we delayed on that enough that we should be looking right ahead to LRT now? Well, you know what, Hal? I've, I've come full circle. If you would have asked me this question 15 or 20 years ago, I was a pretty strong supporter of the BRT system. But, you know, at Winnipeg's growth over the last 20 years has been like nothing we've seen in more than 100 years. So absolutely, I think Councillor Mays is correct. Let's let's do some bold thinking, and uh, maybe it is time to really take a leap of faith and, and get in line with uh, the majority of global cities of our population and where we want to be at a million and think about an LRT system. Well, and even cities smaller than us are doing it. Hal, you know, uh, and I'm a bit tainted here, just got back from Europe, and absolutely I was in some smaller cities, but I also think about cities of, you know, Ottawa, Calgary, Edmonton, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, with very little density, Minneapolis, and, and, and countless others that have started somewhere with a single line and adapted that LRT line into, uh, you know, more of a system, just like we're planning with the BRT. But again, I would submit that Winnipeg is a different place than it was when we had this debate in the early 2000s. 
Mm-hmm. I, I kind of agree. I mean, I don't want to spend years and millions of dollars doing a study on this, but I do think it's an idea that we need to look at again and figure out, hey, maybe maybe it's time to start doing this. I, I think maybe I would feel different if BRT had gone as planned, but it didn't. No, you're right. And we, we've stalled on that. And again, uh, places like Ottawa have, you know, where we were probably 50 years ahead of them, uh, in the in the early 1900s to now we're probably 50 60 years behind places like Ottawa and uh, Edmonton and, and Calgary and to be a globally competitive city if we are to reach that you know 900 to a million mark are we really going to rely on a system of uh, buses and uh, and you know vehicles to move that many people around we are headed for a tremendous gridlock that people are already complaining about. Well, you said the word global, and I think that's a key to this conversation. Uh, Yes, it's about us, Winnipeggers, but it's about other people coming to Winnipeg, right? You know what, absolutely. And again, just from, you know, my travels over the last few years, like many other Winnipeggers, we travel about and we see smaller cities and larger cities that just seem to be more globally competitive than Winnipeg has been. I think we need to leverage the tremendous growth that we've seen over the last 15 or 20 years and start thinking like a city of a million instead of a city of half a million that we seem to be stuck in. And I think, you know what, we've got a municipal election coming up. I think Councillor Mays is right on putting this on the table. I might disagree on where that first uh, LRT line might go, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, somebody has to put a spike in in a track and get the system going. And and again, at the turn of the century, we were we were a heck of a head of most cities in North America, and now we're significantly behind. Okay, so you brought it up. So let's talk about that because a lot of people sending me text messages and emails are thinking just what you said, that maybe St. Mary's Road isn't the best spot. A lot of people have said, hey, what about us north of Portage on Main Street, right? A lot of people have said Portage makes more sense. Where would you put the first LRT line? (laughs) You're probably going to hang up on me when I say we need to study it. But I I would say that the one real cool thing about Winnipeg that's changed dramatically is, is pockets of density. And I would be looking at where is our greatest density uh, pockets, you know, absolutely in the downtown, you know, out towards Health Science Centre, out towards the other university, U of M, places where we have 20, 30,000 people going each day back into the downtown. And then from there, we start to think about where do we run it? Does it make sense to go down Pemina? Does it make sense to go down Portage or Main Street? Like our our main drags are, are, are... no-brainers in some ways because they have the density and the the attractiveness of uh, of ridership. The other thing of rail that we know is that rail does drive development like no other, and, and that is you know a, a pretty established fact. BRTs don't quite have the potential to drive development as much as an LRT system does. Hmm. Can we afford it? It's going to cost more than BRT. Well, and, and again, this is where, you know, we, we think like a city of half a million or we begin to think of a city of a, a, a region of a million plus and how long can we say we can afford it. And if we want to do that, and that's fine, then our, our global competitiveness becomes part of that psyche. 
right? Well, Winnipeg, they, they, they sort of think about it. But maybe what Councillor Mays is saying is, let's, let's finalize something and maybe let's make it a, a, an election issue as well. Is Winnipeg ready to take on a massive infrastructure project help, stimulate the economy post-COVID, get people working, and radically change the, the, the nature of Winnipeg? And that's the question that I guess we should pose to those running at, at the municipal scale just to, to do the planning and then make it a provincial and a federal issue because this is, this is all levels of government supporting a massive infrastructure uh, investment. Yeah, I, I applaud uh, Councillor Mays for putting it out there. I think it's something that we should be, especially right now, over the next uh, couple of months, two or three months, we should be talking about it during this civic election campaign for sure. And then I just want to get your thoughts on this. I've got some thoughts on this, but a lot of people have said, oh, we got to get our potholes fixed. We can't, you know, we got to do this first. What about, you know, this and that? And why are we talking LRT when we've got all this to worry about? I'm a believer in that. When you're a big city, and we're a big city, and we want to be a big city, we deserve to be a big city in Winnipeg, right? we got to get our, our head right on that. But I think we can chew gum and walk at the same time. We can do it all. Other cities do it all. Why can't we? Absolutely. I mean, that's the question. Like, why Ottawa? Why Calgary? Why Edmonton? Why is, you know, Phoenix, Arizona sending uh, an LRT into the, into the far reaches of uh, Mesa, Arizona? Because they've made an investment. They've made a decision that this is the future. And if we think of things like energy costs, Hal, you know, Calgary's, what was Calgary's slogan a few years back? Ride the wind. Well, we've got a heck of a, 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 a power cache in, in hydroelectricity. We could absolutely deliver on that, you know, ride the wave of, uh, of Winnipeg's, you know, LRT system powered by hydro. Yeah, that is hey, where we got to get to as well, right? Yeah, and I think sometimes it's really easy to say, "Oh, you know, we got all this that we have to deal with." Somebody talked about Steve Juba being a visionary, right? We talk about Duff's Ditch and the floodway and how people didn't want that to happen, and now thank God we've got it, right? We we have to, yes, keep in mind the cost and the requirements that the city needs on the basics, but we also need to look into the future. And as you said you know, in a sense, place a bet and say, we're going to do this and, and we can do this. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, this is a case where, you know, we always say when you place a bet, the house always wins. But an investment in rail is one of those things that we know globally can be absolutely transformative for a city. And even again, if it's starting small, like Ottawa did with a single line or like Minneapolis and in all countless cities, it's, it's something of a start. And unless we want to take that leap of faith and say Winnipeg is a place of a million, then we need to do it. Uh, but again, I, I, I submit if we keep saying, hey, Winnipeg, oh, we're just a little sleepy prairie town, then let's go forward with that mentality. But I think Winnipeggers want more. And I think we've proven that over the last 20 years that growth is occurring around us. We're building higher density and we're creating the the network necessary to support a more robust transportation network. Gino, thanks for the conversation. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Hal. Gino D'Astasio, Professor of Urban Studies at the University of Winnipeg.